Good morning, church. I just want you to know that I am absolutely honored to be here. You know, it's, uh, I tell this to churches when I come and visit because I don't want them to think that I take for granted that you're going to be able to sit there for the next four hours and listen to me. No, I'm kidding. But for the next uh, 30 minutes and listen to me speak, I mean, I, I just want you to know that it means a lot to me that you would do that. So thank you. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you for making me part of your family today. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. So I want to tell you a story. I'm going to start off with a story here. Is that okay? You guys like stories? So this is uh, something that happened to me just a little while ago. I was, I was, it blew my mind when I heard about it. Uh, my brother still lives in Naples, Italy. A few months ago, maybe a little bit, almost, almost a year ago, I get a phone call from him. And it was kind of a bittersweet kind of moment. Because in that phone call, he tells me that my favorite uncle, Uncle Stefano, had just passed away. And that was a bit of a bummer. I'm sitting here thinking, I can't believe that my uncle passed away. Then he says to me, he says, now wait a minute, there's something else to this, there's more to this. None of us knew, he says, but Uncle Stefano had a lot of money. Really? How much? He says, well, here's how it is. Oh, thank you, man. You're awesome. I said, how much? He goes, you're going to have to come to Italy and find out because here's what's happening. He says, uh, the lawyers have gotten us together. They wanted to bring everybody to come together, and they want, they want to tell us what's happening here. Apparently, it's a lot of money. It'll be worth it for you. And I'm going, Uncle Stefano didn't have that much money. He did. Wow. So I hang up the phone. I, I tell Tell my wife, man, honey, I think, I, I think I'm, I, I don't know what's happening here. First of all, bad news, Uncle Stefano's dead. She doesn't know Uncle Stefano. She's like, oh, bummer. And then, and then I said to her, but, but here's the good news. The good news is he's really, really rich, and he left a lot of money, and apparently he left us, us, me and you, honey, a lot of money. And he, she's like, really? Praise God. And I go, yeah, but we got to go to Italy, and we got to get on a plane and get and, and sit down and listen to this lawyer talk to us about it. And she goes, well, we can't afford that. I said, we can't afford that now, but we will be able to. So we've got to be able to do this. And so, you know, we kind of scraped up some, some funds and put some stuff on the credit card. And the, this was like a whirlwind. The next thing I know, I'm on an airplane, and I'm so excited because I'm going to Italy, number one. Back home, I haven't been home in a while, and I get to spend some time with my brother, and I get to find out how much money I am worth now, right? I'm excited about this. And the next thing I know, I'm in the, the lawyer's office. There's a bunch of us. My brothers are there. My sister is there. My wife is there. Their spouses are there. And we're just kind of like listening to this lawyer tell us about what's happening here and this money that... Uncle Stefano left for us. And as I'm listening, there's a couple of things that I'm noticing that are kind of strange. And the first thing that I'm noticing is that this lawyer in Italy is speaking to us in English. I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. And I'm, I'm trying to think this through, like, why is that happening? And then as I'm talking, I feel kind of my hand being licked. I go, what is this? And I look down, and it's my dog, Lucy. And I'm saying to myself, what is my dog, Lucy, doing here? 
And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, I wake up because Lucy needs to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, no, not now, not now, Lucy. This is not a good time. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I'm like, I'm closing my eyes and I'm going back to sleep because I got to get the rest of this story, right? Have you ever been in the middle of a dream and you get awakened and you're like, I get, no, please do not awaken me now. I need the rest of this story, right? No matter what I did, I couldn't go back to sleep. If you could capture one moment of your life and you could shape it, which one would it be? Would it be a moment in the past, a moment maybe of great joy that you just wish you could just kind of bottle up and keep it, a moment of exhilaration? Maybe it was a moment of enlightenment. You're like, wow, now I get it. Maybe it was like, maybe a day that you won something or your team won something and it was so exhilarating and you're like, yes, I wish I can keep this moment forever. Or maybe it's a moment that you'd like to reshape. Maybe it's a moment where you regretted losing your temper and you wish you can get that moment back. Maybe it was a neglected relational moment. Maybe a moment of lost opportunity, and you wish you can get that back, and then you realize that moments lost are moments gone, aren't they? But what if you knew that there was a moment coming in the future, and you knew it was coming, and you knew you could take advantage of it? What if you knew that this moment was coming, and then you could do something with it? What, how awesome would that be? And then you can, what if, what if, what if you, you knew that if you took that moment and you lived it for God, it would be just absolutely unbelievable. What if you realized, what if one moment lived for God turned out to be of infinitely greater value and fulfillment than any lifetime that you ever lived for yourself and you knew this moment was coming? How cool would that be? Pastor Terrence told me that uh, your theme just started last week is fight back, right? So I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible about some individual that decided to fight back. I love that theme. In fact, I think courage is one of those qualities on my endangered list because people are becoming less and less courageous more and more fearful. And the Bible says that, that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is Paul telling Timothy, this young preacher, man, don't, don't let fear get a hold of you. So let me give you a little background in this story. It's found in 1 Samuel. The background is, uh, is that uh, Saul was anointed king, Jonathan, and that was his son, uh, finds out that he's a pretty brave warrior. And he commands an army, leads a thousand to victory against the Philistines who were pretty much in charge of them. They were enslaving Israel. That's what was happening. And so Jonathan said, no way, I'm fighting back. So he gets a thousand men and he goes out and he fights them. And, uh, and, and they win. It's unbelievable because they should not have won. The only problem is that the Philistines are upset now. 
and they regroup. Now, let me give you a little background here. The Bible tells us that because the Israelites were being enslaved pretty much by the Philistines, they didn't have any weapons. The Bible tells us that in those days, there were only two swords in Israel. Saul got to have a sword because he's the king, and his son Jonathan got to have a sword. Everybody else had to fight with like picks and shovels and axes, you know, and no swords, no real weapons, only farming equipment. So this victory was unbelievable. But now the Philistines are upset. They regroup, and the Bible says to us that uh, they assemble an army of 3,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers. And then Israel's soldiers were only about 600, while the soldiers of the Philistines numbered as the sands of the seas. That's what the Bible tells us. Why did they go down from this army of at least 1,000 to only 600? Let me read it to you. It's found in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Are you guys with me today? All right. The Philistines, verse 5, listen carefully. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariots, and soldiers as, numbered, and as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical, I'm wondering if there's somebody in here today that's sitting here quietly, maybe even smiling, but they realize that they're in a critical situation. Have you ever been in a situation that was critical? Do you know what I'm talking about? The reason why that dream was so special to me is because my financial situation was critical at the time. Some of you maybe are having a financial critical situation. Maybe you're having a critical relational situation. I, I don't know what's happening in your lives. I don't know you. It gives me license to say things that you would be like, well, I, you know, I, he doesn't know us. I, I know he's not saying that because he knows me. But the reality is the reality, isn't it? In New York, we say it is what it is. It is what it is, and that's what we do. And this, they, the Israelites realized, now you could do, you, you have four choices when situation gets critical. You have four choices when life becomes overwhelming. You have four choices when the enemy becomes intimidating. You have four choices when the Philistines are knocking at your door, when you feel outnumbered, overruled, and overpowered. You have four choices when defeat seems to be right at your doorsteps. You have four choices, and these are the four choices that the Israelites partook of. And listen to what it says here. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, one group decided to hide in caves and thickets among rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Yeah, you can just go and hide and hope it just goes away. The second group says here, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and the Gilead. You know what that means? They decided to be like, well, can't beat them. Join them. And they actually began to fight for the Philistine army. I mean, I'm telling you right now, when situations are critical, we do some pretty stupid stuff. Some of us are hiding. Some of us are joining the other army, the enemy. Then there's a third group. 
it says, Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him that didn't have the gumption to go and hide or even the courage to go and join against the, to join the Philistines decided to just stay with Saul. And the Bible tells us that they were quaking with fear. That's a third option. In fact, we find out a little later that Saul is with his men and he's realizing that the situation is critical and they're having kind of like a little committee meeting. And it's so boring that it says that he falls asleep under a tree. So the third choice is that you can fear and quake and fall asleep hoping that somehow something happens or wait to get defeated. How are we doing? You okay? Because I heard you guys say amen here, so I'm just like waiting for that right here now. Because in the East Coast, people did, you know, and still getting used to this Pacific Northwest here. Now listen to what I'm saying here. Because I told you there were what? Four. There is one more choice, and it's found in chapter 14. Now listen carefully to what it says here. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass of Michmash. And one day, so this has taken several days, right? Israel is sleeping under a tree. Jonathan's there too. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. The fourth is to fight back. The fourth is to say, look, man, if it's normal to just wake up and make it through the day and nothing else, then I vote for abnormality. See, I think we are in a crisis right now. And I think some of us have fallen asleep. And I think God is saying, hey, look, man, I need some Jonathans and some armor bearers. And I love this. I think the three words that separated Jonathan and his armor bearer from Saul and the rest of the army are these three words. Come, let's go. See, i got to tell you something right now. I don't, I'm not getting paid for saying this, but I need you to know this. I've worked in this church now for almost 30 years. I've met lots of pastors. I need you to know that you have an amazing pastor here. You have a great pastor here. I worked with him. I'm being very honest. I'm, I'm, I'm being really serious here. You have a pastor that loves you, loves this community, loves what's right, and wants to fight back. What separates him from other pastors is he's got this come let's go mentality. We meet on a regular basis, and I watch this passion in him, and I am just inspired by him. Do not take that for granted. Because what Israel needed that day was not King Saul. What Israel needed that day was Jonathan and this armor bearer. And by the way, Jonathan at this time is about 24, 25. He's a millennial. And the armor bearer, he's not old enough to fight in the army, but he's old enough to be an armor bearer. He's a teenager. So you got a millennial and a teenager going, let's go do this. Now, 
This is extremely important. The church is sleeping under a tree. The reason why I'm so passionate about young people is because they are the only ones who have the courage and the energy and the faith. I'm going to give you a whole new definition of faith today. And the faith to say, hey, let's go do something about this. They're the ones that say, look, look, I, if we go only where we've gone before and do only what we're certain of, we remove our need for God. I tell my church all the time, I want to do something so amazing that if God was not in it, I would fail. One of my favorite preachers, Stephen Furtick, he says, uh, he says that, uh, that if your dream or your endeavor is not intimidating to you, perhaps it's insulting to God. Perhaps the greatest tragedy is not the evil that we have failed to avoid, but the life that we have failed to live, the good that we have failed to achieve. I think we have a church that is so scared to make no mistakes that they make no progress. You guys all right out there? And just in case you think, I only do, I do this at my church too. Some members are here, they know. It's just, do, it's just me. This is, I'm just telling you the way it is. I, I, I'm convinced of this, and this is a problem. This is a challenge. And we need some Jonathan and some armor bearers to take up the cause and do something. Someone once said a long time ago that, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. So Jonathan and the armor bearer, like, that's not happening, man. So choice number four is action. Fight back. So it says that they, went, they decided that they were going to go, but he didn't tell his father. Now let's give him a little slack here. Now please... Uh, Young people, I'm not telling you you should do things without telling your parents. All right? I, I want you to be careful about that. But I do want you to do stuff that perhaps will wake mom and dad up a little bit. And you'll see what I mean in a minute. But he doesn't tell his dad. In fact, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gilbia. It says, under a pomegranate tree in migrant, and they were just kind of sitting there sleeping. Now, it says that no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, verse 4. Check this out, man. I love this. Verse 4 says, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Sene. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to the south toward Geba. Have you ever, like, read the Bible and go, What? Like, there's a fight, man, and you're telling me about geography right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, why are you telling me this? And I, I'm under the impression that nothing in the Bible is there just for the sake of information. I believe that the author is trying to tell us something. And I don't know what the full meaning is. I don't think we'll ever get the full meaning of all that it says. But here's what I get out of it. Jonathan and the armor bearer were about to step between a rock and a hard place. They were about to step in a situation where there was only one way to go. And so that's why we have the geography. Does that make sense? 
And then it says, Jonathan, this is when it gets really good. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, once again, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm imagining some pretty passionate language here. I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, let's go and get those uncircumcised fellows. You know what I mean? Like, isn't that saying they're going, let's go over and get the uncircumcised fellows. Right? It's like, let's go. Come on. Let's go get those uncircumcised fellows. Right? And then he says these words. I love this. He says, the Lord will act in our behalf. No, that's not what he says. Read with me. Is it back there? It says what? Perhaps. Perhaps. In my Bible, I got that word circled. Perhaps? What? If I'm the armor bearer, I'm going, why don't you wake me up when you're sure? What's with the perhaps stuff, right? I thought you were a leader of the army of Israel here. What's with the perhaps? Is it possible that maybe God wants us to embrace uncertainty in order to move forward? I think our church has gotten to the point, and I, when I say our church, by the way, I'm talking about Christianity. Don't misunderstand this, okay? All of us. I think the enemy has done a great job in getting us to the point where we do only what we're sure of doing. You know? I've been in situations like that. I remember one time you were talking about the leadership program. Real quick, I'll tell you this, because I don't know how much time I got, but I'm just going with it. When they ta- asked me, would you teach the leadership class, I was teaching junior Bible at the time, right? So now they got to have a board meeting about whether or not I can teach the leadership class, because that would mean I could not teach the, le- the junior Bible class. Well, all of a sudden, the board chairperson, who happened to be the president of the conference at the time, said, well, that, that's going to present a problem. Because who's going to teach junior Bible? See, that's a, and he actually said this. I kid you not. He said, that's a sixth of a salary. What are you going to do with that? And they're going back and forth, back and forth about this. And then finally, the, somebody said, I'll, I'll teach junior Bible. <laughs> Was the vice principal at the time. And they were like, yeah, you know, thank you, that's nice, but now, you, you know, you're teaching math, now you've got to teach two, and I were, were overwhelming you. And he's like, no, no, I want to do that. And this went on again and for a while. And we, at that time, we had 186 students at Blue Mountain Academy, 186, not bad. So I raised my hand. I said, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask the treasurer this question. I said, how many students more do we need to afford this one-sixth of a salary? That's all I want to know. How many more? And she's sitting there doing the math in her mind, and she goes, we're going to need six more students for this to come out right. I go, listen, I've been listening to you guys for the last hour and a half discussing this thing. You're all saying this is a great idea. This will be fantastic for the school, fantastic for the students, but we should wait until we're sure Next year, when we have enough students. I said, that means that we don't think that God can give us six more students. 
What is up with that? I don't know what was wrong with me. This is the president I'm talking to. You know, I'm like, this is not good. I'm thinking about, I'm going to have to call Nancy, tell her I lost my job, you know. And somehow, just the right people, the treasurer of the conference said, you know what, let's try it. He was a great man. Rudy Pelly. I just want to tell you his name. He's a great guy. And they decided to do it. Just quickly here, let me tell you what happened. The next year, Blue Mountain Academy had 236 students. It's as if God was saying, what? You're going to insult me with six students? Let me just show you what I can do. One of the things that I love to say at Richland Church is God is bigger than the obvious, more powerful than the predictable, and he loves to give impossibility an inferiority complex. That's the God we serve. So now Jonathan is like, hey, what if? What if one moment lived for God would turn out to be of infinitely greater value and fulfillment than a lifetime lived for myself? What if we just do this? Come on, armor bearer. Come, let's go. Perhaps. Perhaps God will show up. And then he says these words. He says, because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In other words, hey, look, here's the point. If God shows up, it doesn't really matter how many there are and that there's only two of us because God's in business, right? God's going to do the stuff. I mean, it's not even about us. It's about God at this point. And so who knows? Maybe he'll show up. Maybe he wants us to win. Maybe he wants us to fight back. Maybe he doesn't want us to sleep. Maybe he doesn't want us to hide. Maybe he doesn't want us to get and, and join the other play. Maybe God wants us to fight back. Maybe that's what God wants. So the armor bearer, <laughs> this is what I love about teenagers, by the way. Do all that you have in mind, as the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm with you, man. And I'm all in. Let's do it. Let's go for it. See, only teenagers have that kind of faith. And that's my definition of faith, is embracing uncertainty. Maybe he got up that morning and said, what if one moment live for God? would turn out to be of infinitely greater value and fulfillment than any lifetime lived for self. See, I need you to ask yourself that question. Pastor Terrence is telling me a little bit about your initiatives in the next few months. I think that's amazing. And, and you're, gonna, you're going to be tempted to not get involved. Not because you're bad people. The Israelites were not bad people. They were God's people. Don't misunderstand this. But it's because they are so absolutely inundated with what the world has to offer that we have lost sight of why we are here to begin with. You understand what I'm saying here? I think, I think the enemy has done an amazing job in overstimulating us. I think the enemy's done an amazing job in getting us so busy that we have no time for God. We're too tired. We want to sleep under a tree. But I want to tell you right now, you need to wake up tomorrow morning and every morning after that and say, okay, God, what if one moment lived for you would turn out to be of infinitely greater value and fulfillment than any lifetime that I could ever live for myself? You following me? So, Rome. 
are we doing? Are we doing good on time? I don't know what time. We're, okay, we're okay? All right. <laughs> Careful, man. Do not encourage me. I'm Italian. I, I can go. All right. So, Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over toward the men and catch this wonderful, amazing military strategy. We will cross over to the men and let them see us. <laughs> what? I mean, like, what about camouflage, you know? How about, like, sneak, away, sneak in, like, under the presence of darkness, you know? Like, really, that is your strategy? Let them see us? Oh, no, it gets better. I have more, Jonathan says. This is what we're going to do. They will see us, and if they say to us, Wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. <laughs> but, oh good, okay, there's, there's, there's a however here. If they say, come up to us, then we will climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. I mean, does that sound like a stupid idea of what, man? I mean, let's be honest. Is it just me? Am I just like, am I just too practical? I'm saying, really, Jonathan, this is your plan? You're just going to remove the cloak of invisibility. You're going to remove camouflage, and you're just going to show up? Well, maybe that's what God needs us to do sometimes. Maybe God needs us to just show up transparently for who we are. Maybe what God needs is for us to say, hey, here's a simple plan. And this is our sign. I love this. You know, we make God's signs so complicated so that we make sure that it's God's sign. <laughs> right? You got to have the license tag in front of me say, marry him. That's how I'll know. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, let's be honest, right? That just doesn't happen. Right? But we, that's, that's how sure we want to be. That will remove any... Not Jonathan. He's like, this is what we're going to do. It's very simple. We're going to show up. We're going to let them see us. And if they say to us, come up, we'll come up. And if they say, stay there, we'll stay there. That's, what, that's our plan. And I love this. Because the armor bearer is like, all right, let's do it. I'm in. So both of them, not just Jonathan, both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. They're ready to fight back. I love this. It says, look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. I imagine Jonathan turning to the armor. See, I told you. This is it. Just exactly like I said. Perfect. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. You catch that? It's already happened. He has, look, the sign. It came just the way we said. Isn't that amazing? He has given, listen to what he says here. This is really important. He says, he has given the Philistines into the hands of Israel, not into our hands. 
See, Jonathan and the armor bearer were not there for them. They were not there for their glory. It's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the credit. It's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets the blame. What he cared about is that they were going to bring hope to the city of Jerusalem. They were going to bring hope to Israel. That's why they, that's why they were doing this. They weren't doing it for any other reason but that. They need hope. They're sleeping. They're trembling. They're hiding. They need hope. Let's go bring them some hope. So Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. Remember, how many swords? One sword. I mean, yes, sure, Saul has one sleeping under the tree, but I mean, right now, of the two of them, who's got a sword? See, at this point, again, I'm the armor bearer. I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm being like, dude, you got a sword. I see why you're being so courageous, you know? All I got is a shovel. Give me a break, man, right? So they're climbing up, it says. The Philistine, uh, it says, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind them. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearers followed and killed behind them. Think about that. In the first attack, it says, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Two people. One with a sword, the other one with a shovel. I'm sorry, my mind thinks in pictures. I'm seeing them climbing up. Armor bearer, like, here you go. Gives him the sword. Jonathan's like going. They're falling wounded. And the armor bearer's going, take that. Take that. Take that. And the next thing you know, they're just dying. They're all, I mean, what is going on? The next verse says, then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. See, when you go and bring hope to the city, God is going to move with you. See, that's the problem that we forget. Some of us have half-heartedly tried stuff and it half-heartedly worked, and we're like, we're not going to put that much effort into it anymore. No. Let me tell you something. The pastor that baptized me, Daniel Zabaleta, he worked at this little church. Really, really difficult. And one day he baptized four of us. And back in those days, they did this. I'm glad they don't do this at our, at our conference, man. But back in those days, you'd have to go to a meeting. And at the meeting, they'd have to tell every, all the other pastors, this is how many we baptized this year. And they were, first we'll start with the centurions, you know. And these are the people that baptized 100, you know. And then Darren was, we'll start with these people. And, and then one day, you know, then, then Daniel was like, yeah, I baptized four. Oh, good try. Nice. Well, two of those four became pastors. And two of those four have impacted the kingdom of God for a long, long time afterwards. So don't let the little stuff make you think that you're not getting anything done. You have no idea of the ripple effect. You have no idea of what God's going to do through you. Listen to me. This is so important. I'm being very, very honest with you on this. This is like, and you know, here's the thing, man. 
Someone once wrote these words. They said, if you move in the direction of your dreams, the world will conspire with you. Well, forget the world. I think God's going to conspire with you. Who made the world. God's going to conspire with you to make things happen. I think too many of us, we hide. We tremble. We give up. Join the enemy. We sleep. And we never move in the direction of our dreams. I don't know what your dreams are today. I'm, I'm, and I'm not just talking about the dreams of Ephesus. That's fantastic. I'm also talking about your personal dreams. Uh, just so I don't go till 3 o'clock. Let's finish this up. So Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Saul wakes up. <laughs> he says to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. Like, who's missing, man? And when they did, sure enough, you know, as a, as a dad, I could see, I, you know that moment where you're like, oh, great, it's my son. Just, He's never obedient, that guy, Jonathan, you know? And his armor bearer, who, who are not with him. So Saul said to, and, and, and just, just to read the rest part here, basically, Saul calls for a prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? What is it with us? Have you noticed, you know, those of you who have known the life of Saul, have you noticed that, that he's always like one step behind? Like he's acting when he should be waiting, right? He's controlling when he should be praying. He's sleeping when he should be fighting. And now he's praying when he should be moving into action. Right? And in fact, as he is having this prayer meeting, this is what the Bible says, I kid you not, New Yorkers, you get this. Here's what, it's going on and on and on. And, 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 and Saul says, all right, forget about it. That's what he says. Stop right now. Forget about it. We got to go. We got to move. We got to do something. This is not good. We got to join in. We got to partake in some of this glory. And so listen to what happens here. This is so huge. Then Saul, catch this, catch this, we're almost done. Do not miss this. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. Did you catch that? Those quaking, fearing men now have courage. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with swords. This is easy. Right? Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines, no, the ones who had joined forces with them, catch this now, and have gone up with them to their camps, went over to the Israelites. These guys are like the Italians during World War II, you know? <laughs> joined the Nazis, okay, now they're losing, let's join the Americans. You know, I'm <laughs> just being honest, sorry. I can do that because I'm Italian, right? <laughs> so now they joined, catch that, right? Who were with Saul and, 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 and Jonathan. And then when all the Israelites who had been hiding, that third group, remember the three groups? All them in the hill countries of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run and they joined the battle in hot pursuit. Young people. Some of us older people are falling asleep. And God needs you to say, come, let's go. Let's go do something great for God. God needs you to wake up tomorrow morning and say, what if this is the moment? What if this moment, live for God, 
would turn out to be of infinitely greater value and fulfillment than any lifetime I could ever live for myself. And then you would move into action. You will never know those who you will pull into action by the wind shear of your obedience. Are you following me? Let me say that again. I'm not sure you heard me. You will never know, all of you, you will never know those whom you will pull into action by the wind shear of your obedience. See what happened in Israel that day? The faithful were unleashed. They were still faithful. They were just trembling. They were unleashed. The paralyzed were mobilized and the prodigals were restored. That's what happens when we move into action. God is waiting for us to do this. What would it feel like to lay your head on your pillow tonight and say, you know what I did today? I teamed up with God to change the world. Right? I believe God's going to do great things here at Ephesus. I think you have an amazing church. I think you have a great pastor who really loves God. Don't let the enemy discourage you. Don't let crisis discourage you. God is bigger than the obvious, more powerful than the predictable, and he loves to give impossibility and inferiority complex. Do you believe it? Amen.